0: tune, isn't it? I like that. Hey, listen, I, I'm, just, I'm just blown away by the goodness of God. Blown away by the goodness of God. We said this week number one of this series that God was going to take chains off of people, and I just believe in my heart that that has been the case. Week number one, we looked at these pesky, petty, little nitty-gritty things that get in under our skin and living in a way where we, we're like, oh, that annoys me, that bothers me, that offends me, that gets under my skin. And we let that, I think, affect our lives in a way where, on a normal day of our lives, we're really not doing what God's called us to do. Because we're ticked off, and we're bitter, and we're unforgiving, and I'm annoyed with this person. And the stuff is so inconsequential. We talked about um, filling the gap with love. Just presuming the best, not thinking, oh, they probably meant the worst. Uh, we talked about just filling that gap with love and real-time forgiveness. Week number two was quite a heavy message, and it was very serious about, okay, what happens when the big stuff happens? Like horrendous, tremendous like offenses to you, something perhaps even tragic and very abusive in your life. And something inside of us just goes, man, I want what's fair. I want them to get what's coming to them. But we were like, oh, but when it comes to me and God, I don't want what's fair. I'm very glad that God doesn't treat me the way I want to treat people who have hurt me. And uh, We talked about, you know, just this idea of I, I have to give to other people what God has given to me. And that the scripture was like non-negotiable on the matter. Week number three, we talked about, you know, people who hold a grudge against God. We're holding on to painful stuff, and it's, God, you did me wrong, and you shouldn't allow that to happen. You should have prevented that. Why didn't you give me that? Why didn't this happen in my life? And listen, God is perfect and pure, and he doesn't need our forgiveness, but we still hold grudges against him. And I believe the Holy Spirit was just taking chains off of people as we actually reconciled with God. Today, we are going to talk about perhaps the most difficult person to forgive. How do you forgive yourself? Knowing what you know about you, knowing what you've said, you can't unsay it, knowing the way perhaps you treated a person, and you cringe, knowing what you did or what you should have done, how can I forgive myself after I did what I did and I know what I did? Some of you came to Christ and immediately there was like this laundry list of people that you realized, wow, I wounded and I hurt. And prior to Christ, you didn't even think about it. You didn't really give a rip about it. But today you find yourself incredibly grateful and you believe, looking at that laundry list, that God forgave you. You believe God forgave you. And yet, when you think about that laundry list, you won't forgive yourself. I actually believe that God has put me in good standing with him but I'm unwilling to let go of how I feel about what I did to myself. Now, I don't know what that might be for you. Maybe you drank too much one night and you did something that you cannot undo. Maybe... It was years ago when you were a teenager, or maybe in your 20s, and you felt you were cornered and you were in a desperate decision, uh, a desperate situation, and you made a decision and you thought it was the best decision at the time, but now with some hindsight, you look back with tremendous regret about what you said or decided. Maybe the best of intentions. You really meant well. You poured yourself into work and you convinced yourself. I'm doing this for the right reasons. I mean, you just spent your life working. This is what I need to do for my family. This is how I provide. This is what it means to be who I need to be. And now, again, with hindsight, you look back, and the truth is you would say, I feel like I gave way too much time and attention in my life to that which was of lesser importance than the people that I love the most. I neglected them. And you are filled with regret about that. Maybe you found yourself in a spot in your marriage and instead of leaning into your marriage, you leaned away from your marriage. And you got somebody else's attention or they got your attention and you had uh, an affair of some kind and you just can't cope with what you know you did. And you will not let yourself off the hook. Maybe it's the clicking. Looking at stuff that you know you shouldn't be looking at. Click, 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 click. And you say to yourself, I need to stop doing this. And yet you go back to it and back to it and back to it again and again. And the shame and the guilt, it's just all over you. What do you do when shame and guilt haunt you? And when it simply will not go away? This message is entitled, Why Can't I Forgive Myself? Let me start off by saying, not all guilt is created equal. Some of you today are living under what simply could be called false guilt. You feel guilty about something, and the truth of the matter is, you really shouldn't feel guilty about it at all. How many of you would be aware of a situation, maybe this was your experience or maybe somebody else, where a a child grew up in a home where parents got divorced, and that child says, I should have done something. I could have... Being a better helper, I could have relieved some stress. Maybe I should have said something to my parents. I could have prevented that. And they feel, years can go by, and they feel still tremendously guilty. Church, is it appropriate for that child to feel guilty about that divorce? No. That's false guilt, and that child should never feel like that. Tragically. Probably all of us, maybe to some degree, are aware of of a a scenario where somebody had power and they abused that power. And this was horrible stuff. Somebody that maybe you trusted and you looked up to, they actually took advantage of you. And whether it was physical abuse or emotional or sexual abuse, Something very, very tragic happened and did tremendous destruction, and yet, how often do we know the case where that person who was the victim walks away and says to themselves, that was my fault. Somehow, for some reason, I blame myself for this thing that happened to me. Church, is that appropriate? No, never. It's not your fault. Do not buy into the devil's game of shaming you with false guilt. False guilt is dangerous, it's incredibly unproductive, it's not from God, and you need to let it go. Not all guilt is created equal. There's another type of guilt, and this might sound odd for me to say this, but it's actually a good thing. You would think, guilt, how could that possibly be good? Believe it or not, it can actually be a guilt, a gift. You can allow this guilt to move you and draw you closer to God. The right type of guilt can be a gift that brings you into the presence of God. Look at the scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So we've got two phrases in this scripture. We've got godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. So godly sorrow It says in the scripture, it's wonderful. It leads you to life. Godly sorrow will lead you to salvation. Godly sorrow will lead you to a place in your life where you have no regrets. I would like to have no regrets, wouldn't you? But you see, there's this other sorrow, worldly sorrow. And that is going to tie you up in knots for the rest of your life. And it's going to lead you to one thing, death. So let me talk about godly sorrow. The word for this is conviction. Conviction. Do you ever meet someone and you would say, man, they have a conviction about them. They're driven about something. You can have a wonderful sense of conviction about what you have done wrong. I recognize I shouldn't have done that. I mean, I really, really shouldn't have done that. And I am genuinely so sorry for what I did or what I said to that person or how I treated them. That type of conviction is actually good and helpful because it will take you off the wrong path of doing it again and again and it'll actually put you on the right path. And that's godly sorrow. It says, I don't want to be like that anymore. I don't want to talk to people like that anymore. I don't want to say that kind of stuff. I want to change a direction in my life. I want to change my behavior. I want to apologize. I want to take responsibility honestly for what I've done. And I want to live my life and get on with my life. And I want to do that in freedom. I want to express God's love and God's hope instead of wallowing in mistakes that I've made in the past. There's a huge difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. A good example of godly sorrow is a fella in the Bible by the name of Peter. Now Peter was a wonderful guy, and he actually had a ton of skills, really great qualities. But then he would just go and do something really stupid on steroids. Anyone have that gift, stupid on steroids? I like to say I have a PhD in D-U-M-B. Things are going in the right direction. You love Jesus, you're honoring God, you're doing good, you're in the zone, and then one day, you just do dumber, than dumber, than dumber. It's in all of us. We're all able and capable of that. And that was Peter. Unfortunately, this can be me, and this can be you. Peter walks right up to Jesus. I'm, I'm your guy. Seriously. It's you and me, Jesus. I'm your man. And listen, if anyone else... I mean, if they all fade away, not me. Jesus, i got your back, and I'm in your corner, and anything you need, I'm your guy. I'm your man. I mean, come what may, if there's a fight, I'm I'm in your army. I want you to know this. I'm your guy, Jesus. Jesus probably smells the, maybe even the pride, and actually prophesies over Peter. He says, Peter, I need you to calm down. Because here's what you need to know. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. That's exactly what happens. Jesus is arrested. And it says, a little girl, a little girl walks up to Peter. Hey, aren't you with Jesus? It's a little girl. Jesus who? I don't know who you're talking about. A woman comes up to him. Hey, weren't you one of the disciples? Didn't you walk with Jesus? Peter answers, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know the guy. A third person confronts him, Luke chapter 22. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Now, maybe you're hearing that story for the first time today. Maybe you've read that in the Bible before. I want to show you something really small. Maybe you've never noticed this before. Verse 61, it says, In that moment, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. So those denials that just took place was a stone throw away from Jesus. And as the words came out of Peter's mouth, Jesus looked him right in the eye. Verse 61, then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. A grown man bawling his head off. What have I done? What did I say to Jesus? I said to him, I was your man. God, I am so, so, so sorry. I was, that was just stupid. I was arrogant, and look what I've done. And you saw me, and I've hurt you so badly. Ever felt like that? In the middle of maybe even your best intentions. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to go back and do that same stupid thing that I do that I know God doesn't want me to be a part of, and it seems like five minutes later, there you are doing the exact thing that you said you didn't want to do. I truly love this person with all my heart, but then, in a moment of frustration, words come out of my mouth that would damage them, and I don't know how I'm ever going to take those words back. It was bad. And, And you're looking at yourself going, why did I say that? I actually love, I genuinely love that person. They mean so much to me. How could God love somebody like me? I never seem to get it right. How could I hurt people that I love in such a significant way? And the moment that you're there, the devil has you exactly where he wants you. The moment that you're dwelling in shame, you are in a spiritual corner because shame is the devil's playground. Shame is where he wants you. There is a big, big difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. The shame and this guilt that becomes personalized over you because of something that you did. What does guilt say? Guilt says, I did something bad. What does shame say? Shame goes far deeper. Shame says, I am bad. The devil will try to take you as a follower of Jesus Christ and connect the mistake that you made, the way you Ill treated somebody, the words that you spoke that were damaging, and what he'll do is he says, I'm going to take that behavior and I'm going to connect that to your entire identity. That is who you are. What you did is who you are. Therefore, you are worthless and you should be riddled with shame. From that moment on, the devil will try everything he can do to convince you that you are pathetic and worthless and useless, and God will never use you again after what you did, or what you said, or what you thought, and you'll never be happy, and you'll never be blessed, and you'll never measure up, and you'll never have a ministry, and you'll never have a great marriage, and your kids will never honor you, and you'll never have a great legacy. You'll always be marked Because you did a bad thing and you'll be marked by the bad thing. And that pain that you feel, that cringing, that I want to go to bed and pull the covers over my head. I don't want to ever look at another human being again. Because you know, but you know, but you know that what you did was awful. The devil will say this to you, stay there for the rest of your life. That pain that you feel churning inside of you, you ought to feel it. You should feel it. It's all for you. You should wallow in that for the rest of your life. You deserve it. And the moment you start dwelling on shame, the spiritual enemy, your spiritual enemy has you exactly where he wants you. It will paralyze you. For some people, for the rest of their days. You can only imagine what the devil would be telling Peter as he is weeping bitterly. Jesus trusted you. He handpicked you. Out of all the people from all time on the planet earth, he chose you to be one of his disciples. And you went off bragging about how great you were and how you'd be there and how you'd never let him down and you betrayed him. And to top it off, Jesus saw you do it. He looked you right in the eye. He saw you. And guess what, Peter? Now all the disciples are gonna know about it. There goes your integrity. Your life is over. Your ministry, that dream of you and Jesus, that is shot. Forget about it. Your future is ruined. Peter, you should be ashamed of yourself. Shame is the devil's playground. What does your spiritual enemy want you to do? The devil wants to use your shame to drive you away from God. That's what he wants to do. You don't get to go near your Abba Father. You will never measure up. You will never be used by God. The devil wants to use your shame to drive you away from God. God wants to use your guilt to draw you to his grace. Can I have an amen on that? God wants to use your guilt, what an incredible thing for God to do, to take something as ugly and dark and morbid and to turn it around to actually bring you close to Him. Godly sorrow says, look, you're right, I messed up in a thousand ways. What you're saying is actually true of me, but I don't want that anymore. You see, I have a safe place to turn. I don't have to live like this for the rest of my life because I have a God who loves me, who still cares about me, a God who receives me. And his mercies, according to the word of God, are new every morning for me. The devil wants to use your shame to drive you away from God. You'll never be anything. You'll never get over this mistake. But our God, in his goodness, he takes off chains. And he will take something that is dark and broken, shame, and he will use it to draw you towards his acceptance and his care and his mercy and his love and his grace and his forgiveness. And now, now you're free to do his will. Now you're free to be on mission. If you don't, you'll be in the bed with a cover over your head in paralysis for the rest of your life. If you think about the comparison. What Peter did, it's fairly close to what Judas did. They essentially did pretty much the same thing. Peter denied Jesus three times. Judas betrayed Jesus one time for 30 pieces of silver. And instead of having godly sorrow, Judas had worldly sorrow. And so in his shame, he embraced worldly sorrow. I can't get over this. I'm caught. They all know what I did. I'm totally busted. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. I can never face any of them again. So what does Judas do? He separates himself from God. And this is how serious it is. He takes his own life. Shame is the devil's playground. Peter essentially did something very, very similar to what Judas did. But instead of embracing worldly sorrow, Peter embraces godly sorrow. I am so unbelievably sad that I did this, and it was wrong. I have no excuses, but I need you to forgive me. And what does godly sorrow lead to? This is this gift. It leads you to repentance. And what is repentance? Simply, it is a change of direction. Turning to a better way. Turning to God's way. God, I'm so sorry. I don't want to do that. I don't want to live like that ever again. I want to live in your ways. I want to find freedom in you. I want to be a blessing. I want to be a voice of hope. And what does God do with this shame? Godly sorrow, it leads you to repentance. It acknowledges the fact, look, I messed up. I sinned. I was disobedient. I'm sorry. I'm not making excuses for what I did or what I didn't do or what I said or what I should have said. Godly sorrow simply leads you to repentance. And then Jesus went on to give his life. Why did Jesus do that? For the person who's listening to my voice this morning, and you're fairly convinced that you are the most shame infested, riddled human being on the planet, that is why Jesus went to the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. The one who was perfect became sin for us. He died in our place, and it says in the word of God that the world went dark. God turned out the lights, and three days later, these women went to this tomb just to check on things, but church, the stone was rolled away because the tomb was empty, because the Son of God was not there. Jesus Christ, his Father, had raised him from the dead so that we can actually be forgiven, so that we can experience his grace, and I want you to hear that in the middle of your infestation of unbelief, unbelievable sort of saturation of shame he went to that degree that length for you so that you would be shame free John 21 Jesus shows up to Peter and the conversation the word that comes to my mind is it's actually a beautiful conversation it's beautiful what Jesus is doing so he goes up to Peter the guy who failed him three times who said he wouldn't right in front of Jesus's eyes and Jesus looks at Peter and he has a question for him. Hey Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, Yes, I love you, Jesus. Listen, I did something really stupid. I'm so sorry. I, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna live for you. Can I tell you what Jesus did not say? Can I show you what's not in the Bible? Peter, I told you, I I I gave you a warning. I gave you a heads up. Peter, I knew you would do it. I knew you would do it. I told you in detail what you would do. I can't believe that you did that. And now here's what I want you to do, Peter. I want you to think about what you did. I want you to dwell on your past. We're gonna get you into a spiritual timeout. And I want you to wallow in your sin for quite a long time. In fact, I want you to drown in your shame. You're on your way to hell for what you did to the Son of God. None of that is in the Bible. Jesus says, oh, I love this question. Do you love me? Jesus, you know I love you. And I can just imagine a smile coming on Jesus' face. And he says to him, okay, you ready? Yeah? Feed my sheep. You see, Peter, you're exactly the man that I want. I've got, I've got a mission for you. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, great, I want you to do my will now. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, great, I got a job for you to do, sweet. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I, you know I love you, great. I got a mission and a purpose for the rest of your life. It cannot be paralysis under the sheets in your bed forever, wallowing in sin. That's, that's dealt with, I've got work for you to do. I got kingdom work for you to, for you to do. Jesus, uh, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do, great. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to do what I created you to do. And let me tell you what Peter didn't do. Again, what's not in the Bible. Sorry, sorry Jesus, you're, you're, you're fresh out of look, I can't do that. Because what I did was so awful I just, I just can't get over it. And it doesn't matter what you say to me, I can't get over it. I just, I don't, I don't deserve to do anything for you. I don't deserve to talk to you. I, I shouldn't have your grace, Jesus. Maybe you have grace for John, but I don't want grace for, for me, for Peter. It's not enough. I cannot do what you've called me to do. Peter didn't do any of that. But that's what you do. That's what I do. I couldn't possibly lift a finger for God Because I don't deserve to. Here's what I deserve. I deserve to live in shame for the rest of my life. How about I do that? And Peter says, no. I'm going to acknowledge my sin. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to repent. I'm going to receive forgiveness. And I'm going to get on mission for Jesus. I'm done with that. I don't know what you're holding on to some of you are walking in here today and you got weight that is, I don't know how you can stand up straight. Something that you cannot take back and you know you can't. Something you did in a moment of stupidity. And I want you to hear this. If you have confessed that to Jesus Christ, it has been forgiven and it's time to let it go. It is time to let it go. The Holy Spirit wants you to let it go. I'm so tempted to break out into a Disney song right now. (laughs) If we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to purify us from all unrighteousness. Let it go. I won't sing it, but I'm going to preach it. (laughs) If you've taken it before God, then God's covered it. His blood was enough. God doesn't hold it against you anymore. God has forgotten it. Don't let the pain of the past rob you from God's future for you. I want you to let it go. Let it go. Let it go. The neglect and the lies and the mistakes and the stupidity and the words that poured out of your mouth that you regret and the thoughts that you had, let it go. You need to acknowledge this truth that no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you try to get it to go away or to will it away or to want it away, you cannot change your past, but God can change your future. Let it go, church. You did something you wish you hadn't. You betrayed somebody. Let it go. Do not spend the rest of your life wallowing in that. How about you spend the rest of your life just being faithful to God now? You got hooked on something that you wish you'd never touched, but now you're free. Go and live in that freedom instead of going back there. Do you love them, church? Church, do you love them? Feed my sheep. i got work for you to do. Do you love me? I got work for you to do. I got you on mission. Get your head out of the bed, out of the covers. I got work for you to do. Let it go. Maybe you let God down. Maybe you let yourself down. Maybe you let your parents down. Maybe you let your best friend down. Maybe you let the memory of somebody that you love and you you let the memory of that person down telling you right now it's covered by the blood of Jesus Christ do not live in the past let it go you smoked something last night you slept with somebody last night you gossiped with somebody last night let it go let it go and here's what's going to happen the spiritual enemy I'm going to give you I'm going to show you the enemy's cards before he has a chance to play them right now your spiritual enemy after this sermon all the more after this sermon he's going to drag up your past today and he's going to slap you in the face with it He's going to remind you about what you did and what you said and why you didn't and where you shouldn't have been. All those words. Neglect. Those people you abandoned. Anything he can do to undo you and to unravel you. Anytime the devil brings up your past, he's only doing that because he's intimidated about your future in Christ when you go and you feed his sheep. God's hand is still on you. His grace is still all over you. His power is still working through you. And I want to remind you, the enemy is still trying to talk you out of what is God's potential future for your life. Peter, I love this. In Acts, we get the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit descends with power. Who is Jesus going to pick for this colossal first sermon in front of thousands of people in the middle of the streets? I know who I'm going to pick. I'm going to find somebody who's got their act together, who's squeaky clean, and has always been faithful. No, he picks Peter. He chose the one who was imperfect. And what does he talk about? Very simple, very powerful. I want you to repent of your sins. I want you to call on the name of Jesus Christ, and you're being saved, and you're going to be saved. Peter, where'd you get that message from? I left it. He asks the one who experiences grace to talk about his grace. If you've been forgiven much, you've got a lot of loving to do in your life. Do you love him? Feed my sheep. Do you love him? Do his will. You are not what you did. You are not what you did. That is not who you are. The gospel clearly states you have become the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What am I? I'm a child of God. That's what I am. Yes, that was a bad mistake and I should have done it and it was wrong in like a thousand different ways but that does not define me. I'm defined by love. I'm defined by his shed blood. I'm defined by the cross and I am accepted and I am forgiven and I am loved and I am a child of God and yes, that was a bad chapter in my book but check this out. My story isn't finished yet. God isn't finished writing the end of my story and God is still there and he who began a good work in me will be faithful to carry it out to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And the guilt and the weight and the shame, I want you to take it to the cross. I want you to confess it. And I want you to find freedom. And I want you to go and I want you to feed a sheep. Would you pray with me? In the name of Jesus Father, right now, we're asking you for spiritual surgery to take place in our hearts right now. Anyone here who needs to receive God's forgiveness, who needs to reconcile with themselves and actually forgive yourself, Alma, online, Mount Pleasant, If that's you, I want to ask you in the presence of God to raise your hand right now. I need forgiveness from God. I need to reconcile my life with Jesus Christ. I want you to raise your hand good and high right now in the presence of God. A statement, God, I need you to set me free from an inability to forgive myself right now. God, your word says that the Son sets us free, and if we are free, we are free indeed. We pray for a miracle in hearts right now that you would actually cause us to step away from shame and you would cause us to move into your grace. Out of guilt and into your freedom, we recognize the gift of godly sorrow that leads us to repentance and a new direction that brings salvation and brings us life. I pray over any person here today who is living in the shame of the past, help us step out of that shame and into your grace, receiving your forgiveness and ready to do your will by the power of the one that raised Jesus from the dead. Help us, God, right now to let it go. And as you have forgiven us, and as you've called us to forgive other people, so in this moment we receive your forgiveness over ourselves. And we forgive ourselves. In the name of Jesus. And together the church said, Amen. Church, would you stand with me for just one moment? Church, I want you to look me in the eye right now. Church, do you love him? Church, do you love him? No more paralysis. you got work to do. I want you to hear this. Your sins are forgiven. You are the righteousness of Jesus Christ because of his shed blood on the cross. Right now, can we give him praise and thanks and honor and glory? Thank you, Jesus. Bless you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Church, we have a God who takes takes chains off. Amen? Go and live in that freedom. God bless.